May 23rd. I want to go back to normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves and demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? Okie <laughs> dokie. Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. I have visions of hell. Make it stop. Make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil. The final season. Streaming May 23rd. Only on Paramount Plus. Now it's time to go to work. There's not one guy in the history of this program that's bigger than the program. <laughs> Listening to Brandon Drum. Look, I think the program's moving in a great direction. And Parker Thune. Venables knows what he's doing. This is the OU Insider Under the Visor Podcast. Welcome to another OU Insider Under the Visor Sooners podcast. My name is Brandon Drum. I'm here with Parker Thune. And July not only has been hot, hot, hot outside with 104, 105 degree temps, uh, it's been about 212 when it comes to Oklahoma on the recruiting trail. They've hit the boiling point and they continue to garner commitments with Lewis Carter. Last week, Josiah Wagner today on July 25th. And uh, they have a two huge uh, big visit dates coming up on the 27th with 2024 and 25 guys coming in with a camp slash, you know, visit type setting uh, on that date. And then on the 29th, uh, the party in the palace is going to be taking place where a ton of 2023 stars, whether committed or uncommitted, are coming in. And we're going to break all that down for you. Plus, we're going to preview Derek LeBlanc's commitment. Uh, whether he's going to choose Oklahoma, Florida, we don't know yet, but we're going to break all that down for you on this episode of the Under the Visor uh, OU Insider Sooners podcast. Parker, how you doing, my guy? Fantastic, Brandon. It's It's been a minute since we did one of these, couple weeks at least. I think it was before yeah, I was uh, we had the chance to <laughs> break down Lewis Carter's commitment. I know both you and I have had uh, a lot of balls that we've been juggling as of late. So uh, good to be back in the saddle. And as you mentioned, big visit weekend this coming uh, weekend for Oklahoma on the heels of what has thus far been an eightfold group of commits 
in the month of July, mm. one of the biggest months in recent memory for Oklahoma on the recruiting trail, Brandon. And, you know, it's almost like we talked about this a long, long Seems time like ago, it, right? as early as February or March, uh, June and July were kind of the months that we'd been circling and pinpointing as the months that the rubber was going to meet the road for Oklahoma and the natural surge of commitments would come. And lo and behold, the Sooners started to pick it up in late June. A couple of key commitments late in the month, Heath Ozida and Samuel Masigo, uh, the latter of whom committed on the final day of the month of June. Then that set the table for a huge July. As we sit here today, Brandon, the Sooners have had 10 commits in the last 30 days. Yep. Yeah, it, it's 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 uh I think it all started with Heath Ozida, like you said, Samuel Omasigo. And then it went from uh, Phil, Phil Picciotti. And then uh, I think it was Petaway, then Caden Green. Then it was, uh, oh my gosh, who was it after that? I'm, it's been so many. Uh, I'm, I'm, I, I feel like it was. Uh, it was Picciotti, then it was Petaway. Yeah, then, then Caden it Green. was Green, PJ, Logan Howland. All on consecutive no, was, days. Was Logan? Was PJ before Logan? No, Logan was the middle one. So it, it was, was Caden, Logan, then PJ, Howland, then PJ. That's five. Mm -hmm. And we're then missing Lewis somebody. No, we're missing, missing somebody. A bunch. As a matter of fact, missing I'll just one, go to the list. <laughs> yeah, who are we forgetting? Because somebody okay, else. Okay, so my it brain went is spacing on. So it went. Dalen Smothers. That's it. Dalen Smothers, Smothers. Yep. But it really started on June the 5th when Keon Brown decided he was going to pop. Uh, and then after that, on the 15th, Caleb Hicks hit. And then it wasn't but two weeks later that you ended up having Ozida and Omasigo pop. And then after that, it it seemed like every few days, Oklahoma's been getting a commitment. And I mean, and who Kate knows McIntyre if that's going to popped in June too, didn't he? I, I forget whether he was before or after uh, Hicks, but he, he was, was June 13th as well. Yeah, 13th, he was middle yeah. of the month, June 13th. So five yeah, in I mean, June, seven in July, or eight in July as of today. Eight in July, Wagon. 13 in the last two months. Uh, they could end up potentially with 14 or 15 in two months, and that is quite the run for Oklahoma. And look, they moved up uh, again uh, to number eight overall. Uh, I believe they have a 251.71 uh, composite score now on the 247 composite rankings. Now that ESPN has fixed a lot of their stuff, Oklahoma is now averaging 91.33 per commit. And that's a score per commit. And I want people to understand that that is a four-star average. That's a middle four-star average, if not middle upper four-star average. Uh, that is close to being... In that's almost averaging a 250, if I'm correct. Like, what is 93, 92? Is that the end of the uh, 247, top 247? As far as the scores go? I, the, well, the it's right around 91. 91. Most everybody. So they are averaging a top 247. Essentially. Per yes. That is unbelievable. Is where, yeah. 90s kind of the cutoff. You get some guys that are 90s that are towards the tail end of the top 247 and some that are four stars, but not in the top two, four, seven. So yes, you said it. They are averaging a top two, four, seven player. When you look at the class top to bottom. 
Yeah. And obviously, yeah, they're averaging in the top 10 per commits as well. And that, that it's only going to go up. I'm telling you guys, and Parker can vouch for this. It's only going to get better as the season goes on, as the summer goes on, as more, more commits accrue, because what Oklahoma has left on the board are huge names, whether it's Derek LeBlanc, whether it's Jacoby Johnson, whether it's uh, Macari Vickers, uh, David Hicks, Edric Hill, uh, Caden McDonald, uh, Tessilia Kana. Um, I, I know I'm missing uh, Peyton Bowen, Ryan Yates. I mean, obviously they have to flip both those. But if that does happen, if that does happen, if they can go get everyone but one of those guys and I guess go like eight for nine or nine for ten or whatever it is they have to do to make that happen, Parker, they're looking at being like second or third overall, potentially. Like that's how good Venables is recruiting right now. And if you just look back, just look back to May and everybody's going, oh my gosh, he can't recruit. What is going on? And we sit here and went, July is going to be fun. June is going to be kind of the warm up, but July is going to be where it's at. I'm telling you all, that's where all these kids are going to make a decision. And there was so much skepticism across the Sooner Nation. It was kind of crazy. Like there was I, no faith. And I, I get why. I get why. But at the same time, I'm like different staff. You know what I mean? Different staff. Yeah. And I feel like if that happens, Brandon, if they close with, like you said, if they close with a top five class, I feel like in the eyes of many, you and I had high expectations when we were saying that this class should range somewhere between five to 10. Uh, if Brent Venables can not only meet that expectation, but exceed them in his first year, his first full season, his first full recruiting cycle as Oklahoma's head football coach, that sets a pretty dang high bar. And it makes you wonder how good are things going to get for Oklahoma in year two and year three and year four, right. as the Sooners continue to accrue on field momentum and as this staff continues to prove that they can land the big boys from all over the country, 11 different states are represented in Oklahoma's mm -hmm. class of commits right now, 11 different states. And we all kind of figured that Oklahoma was going to continue to recruit its own state very heavily. We all figured it was going to continue to maintain a strong presence in the state of Texas and that their footprint would expand in the Southeast. But the fact that the Sooners have gone and locked up commits from states like Washington, Nebraska, Pennsylvania. This is off the yeah. beaten path for Oklahoma as far as recruiting tradition in years gone by. And make no mistake, Oklahoma is still going to make their hay on the recruiting trail in Oklahoma, in Texas, in the southeast, and increasingly in that Kansas City metroplex. But the fact that Brent Venables is leveraging the Oklahoma brand to the point where he can go to places where Oklahoma has not historically recruited at all and get these guys to pledge, sometimes without even having taken an official. I mean, when was the last time, Brandon, that the, that the Sooners rostered anybody from the state of Washington? Legitimately. I was having this conversation on the air today with my co-host, Mike Steely, and... <laughs> We couldn't come up with an answer 
off the top of our heads, we could not figure out who the last Washingtonian Sooner was. Now the Sooners have two in the same class, both of them committed without taking an official visit. It's insane. And here's the, here's the crazy part. If they somehow do pull Derek LeBlanc on Thursday, it will put them at 260.20 overall with 18, 19, 18, 19 commits, 18 commits, excuse me, 18 commits. Uh, and that would put them literally nipping at Clemson's heels at number five with the potential of Jacoby Johnson and Makari Vickers right down the pipeline. And let's, 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 and, and Anthony Evans, we didn't even name Anthony Evans. He's announcing on August 24th and we feel like Oklahoma's in a really good spot for him, but let, for, you know, let's, you know, for, you know, just curiosity's sake, let's go ahead and throw Jacoby Johnson and Macari Vickers. Um, in this, and we'll throw Anthony Evans in it as well by the end of August. Let's just say they hit on all those guys. That okay. would put Oklahoma at 277.99 composite score. Do you want to know where that puts Oklahoma right now? If that was that, to happen this week? That would put them at number three. It would put them at number three. It would, they would jump Georgia, Texas, and Clemson. Wow. That is the highest I can ever remember Oklahoma having, by the way, point yeah, total. I mean, their their highest ranked class of the modern era was that number four class six. in 2019. Oh, was it four? I thought it was I thought six. it was four. Okay. Either way, four, six doesn't check, really matter. Remember. Yeah. Um even with that, point being is that it, this is unbelievable, uh, especially you when right. you know they were six. Number they six. Were six. Okay, yeah, you're right. It, so here's the here's the crazy part about all that. Oklahoma still, if that happens, they still have an Edric Hill, Tassilia Kana, David Hicks, Caden McDonald, Jordan Renaud still left on the table to get. And if they somehow pull at least two or three of those, that puts them within the number one ranking, like right at the heels or right at number one. How crazy is that? Like we never thought that that would happen. I don't think in our wildest dreams, we thought that could happen. Yeah. And you know, you're throwing, you're throwing out these names, Brandon, you're throwing out these names, but they're realistic like, names, like David Hicks and Edric. And sure they are realistic names, but there are inevitably people out there that are saying, okay, how realistic is it for Oklahoma to go get David Hicks? How can reasonably, are they going to go pull a five-star defensive lineman or I might pick they waited way too long. They waited way too long to offer Edric Hill. How are you going to tell me that they're going to end up getting him anyway? Well, I, at this point last month, Brandon, who thought with certainty, obviously Oklahoma was a player, but who thought with certainty Oklahoma is going to get Dalen Smothers, Josiah Wagner, Lewis Carter, right. heck, even Logan Howland. And so I think what Brent Venables and the staff are doing right now is they're flexing their muscles to the point where you almost have to give them the benefit of the doubt in these swing races. You look at the recruitment of a Macari Vickers.
Rutgers or an Anthony Evans or an Edric Hill. And no longer do you take the skeptical, more cynical approach and say, okay, well, not going to count on those guys, but they'd be nice if Oklahoma somehow ended up with them. No, at this point, you have to consider Oklahoma a legitimate player for everybody with how this staff is recruiting. And that starts at the top with David Hicks. That works its way all the way down the offer sheet at this point. Everybody aboard for Oklahoma that is yet uncommitted, if they want to make a play for them, make no mistake, the Sooners have the juice. They have the transparency. They have the relationship-building ability to – at the very least, crack the very upper echelon for just about anybody they want to go after right mm-hmm. now. Well, think about this. And this is something I think Oklahoma fans are are totally forgetting in all this. As well as Lincoln Riley was, or as good as he was at recruiting, okay? As good as he was at recruiting. He could never walk in and say, do you want one of these, these rings? These rings. Venables... Bates, uh, Chavis, like all these dudes can walk in there and say, Gundy. I mean, Gundy is one of the few guys from the previous staff that has title rings to his name, right? As far as national titles. That, I think that dynamic is something that is totally forgotten. Like they literally can say, like Venables can use Stoops's, he can use Riley's little ring thing that he has in the office, but he can make it bigger because he has a whole bunch of his own from Clemson that he can sit there and go, look, I was a part of all these with Stoops outside of like two or three. Riley did a really good job while, he, while I was gone, but that offensive staff over there was really good. That defensive staff over there that we have combined with that offensive staff, you know what? they both combine to do they they have they don't even have enough hands and feet for all the jewelry they can combine together because they've won so many titles like that's the insane part whether you're talking conference whether you're talking national titles all that bowl championships this staff is a winning staff and and the players believe in them because the proof is in the pudding the OU's offensive side, whether it's Levy, whether it's whether it's Beanbow, whether it's Demarco Murray, whether it's Gundy, you know, Joe John Finley, uh, I, I think I've named everybody on the offensive side of the ball, and then whether you, you obviously when you got the defensive side of the ball with Bates, uh, Roof, Hall, uh, Hall's even won a national title. He was part of the OU's two thousand group i mean that's that's the crazy part about this staff is just loaded with people that know how to win titles they know how to win and they know how to produce and they know how to develop because that's all they've done their whole lives and this isn't a homer podcast we're literally stating facts if that's the difference between that staff previously and this one now because that defensive staff as good as it was previously it was a decent staff and i know you fans are going to roll their eyes when we say that it was a good defensive staff they didn't have the wins, the championship pedigree, the development that Venables and his staff that he brought in did and does. And that, I think, is the complete difference. When you're talking about balanced recruiting, 
my goodness, this is balanced recruiting. I mean, and, and it may be even more defensive heavy, but as good as good as the defense has been recruiting, the offense is just as good almost. And that's the crazy part about it. that's how you win a title is when both sides are recruiting equally well and bringing in big name guys in the top 100. And that's well, what they're both doing. And as you mentioned, Brandon, our goal is not to be <laughs> free advertising for OU's no. football program and athletic department. That's the, the nature of our job is to give praise where praise is due and to hold the coaches, the players, the program accountable where it needs to be held accountable. And guess what? Right now at the University of Oklahoma, there is a lot of praise that needs to be doled out and that deserves to be doled out. One thing you mentioned as well, well, a few things you mentioned, this Oklahoma staff, they can coach, they can develop, they can produce. You know what else that they can do, Brandon? You know what they do a heck of a job with is evaluating too. Yeah. Because take and we, that's Adibari. not something that we have touched on yet. You take a look top to bottom with this list of commits. When they offered Jackson Arnold, sure, he was a nationally regarded name. He was a top 100 player. I think he was around top 75 at that point. Right now, he's the number 16 player in the nation and a composite five-star. Before you you say anything about Arnold, before you drop Arnold, I want to say something real quick on him. Did you know, and I know you know this, but people probably don't know this. And we've talked to sources about this. There's a few P5 schools that have won and played for titles over the last six, seven years that thought he was the top quarterback in this class. And at this point, one won a Heisman recently. One of the programs won a Heisman recently at, at quarterback. And the other one has one that's up for the Heisman right now. We'll leave it at that. Uh, and they're both blue blood, big name programs. Uh, and yeah. they both think he is the best quarterback in the class. Yeah, that should, uh, that should not be difficult sleuthing for those that really want to figure out which programs those are. Uh, Sammy Omasigo was a mid-range three-star when Oklahoma started recruiting him, when this new staff got on the scene. Uh, and I believe Omasigo actually had an offer under the former staff, but when the new staff got to town, they made Omasigo a priority. Right now, he's the number 192 player in the country in the composite, the number 13 linebacker, and on the higher end of four-star territory. Think about Logan Howland. Think about Eric McCarty, Cade McIntyre all guys that have made significant strides and are now in the upper echelon of three-star territory have a decent chance to pick up a fourth since Oklahoma initially offered them. I don't know that there has been a better eval in this entire class than PJ Adabare because that dude has shot up the rankings as fast as anybody in this class. He is now with the new ESPN rankings now updated into the composite. He is now the number 52 player in the country. And uh, that, that feels like another one, Brandon, where you and I are going to be taking a victory lap come December or February, because uh, right around the beginning of the spring, we started talking up PJ Atabare as a guy that might not simply work his way into the top 100, but might work his way into the five-star conversation. And things are very, very heavily trending in that direction for Adabar. He's already a five-star at on three. He is now a top 50 player, according to our 24-7 Sports Rankings Council. And if you look at the composite number, 
which is the average of all four recruiting services, Rivals on three, 24-7, ESPN. On average, collectively, those four services with independent talent evaluators and analysts regard him as the number two, right, number 52 player and number seven edge rusher in the nation. This is a guy that wasn't even ranked until December. He didn't, have an, he didn't even have an offer to his name one year ago today. That's how quickly that dude has risen up the ranks. Yeah, no, look, you're, you're stating facts as far as, like, everybody that they've evaluated really well, and I think Keon Brown's another player that kind of gets left out. Uh, we both kind of feel he's going to be a four-star. Uh, when you talk to people in Florida that yes. evaluate – down there, they all feel that he has the potential to move up in the ranks throughout his season. Uh, really good player. Uh, so we'll see how all that goes. Uh, but th- again, that's another good evaluation. Uh, Malachi Coleman's another player that we haven't talked about and that you're really tied in with. And uh, he's another player that's continued to move up the ranks and that Oklahoma's kind of been dabbling with to kind of get into the uh, – they're, they're in some of the top – they're in they're one of the top teams for him right now uh, as far as that goes, maybe going to get an official during the fall with him. But, I mean, uh, Caden McIntyre is another player that when you talk to people in Nebraska, they just say he's a dude. Eric McCarty. I think Eric McCarty is a guy that I feel will be a fringe four-star guy at some point. Like I, deep down in my soul, believe – he might be the best player in the state of Oklahoma in 2023, not named Jacoby Johnson. And I mean that. And I, I, I also think you, obviously you're talking Luke has, you're talking uh, there's, it's a really good class. I just think when you're talking football player, football player, I'm not talking potential because that's where you get the Luke has of the world, the Cole Adams of the world, the by Joves of the world. That's where they get their high ranking from. But I'm talking about strictly from a football player standpoint, it's hard to beat what Eric McCarty can do and what he does for his program. He might be the best player as far as and the most influential player for his program in the whole state. Would you agree with that? I would. And that's something we've talked about. There's probably not another player in the state of Oklahoma that impacts the game in all three facets, the way that Eric McCarty does. He is likely and i want to be careful how i'm wording this so i'm not taking anything away from guys like micah tease and jacoby johnson right yeah exactly i don't know if there is a more complete football player in the state than eric mccarty that's what makes him special is his ability to do literally anything you need him to do on a football field yeah no he he can i mean defensively he had over 100 uh, plus tackles during the season last year. I can't remember. I'd have to look at his stats again, but they're ridiculous. Whether you're talking offensive stats, I think he had over a thousand yards rushing. Uh, he had over a hundred tackles. I mean, the guy is just one of those dudes that just makes plays. And there's a lot of people that really believe that he has a chance to be, I mean, even if they were to get Peyton Bowen and Ryan Yates and all that, like he could end up being the guy that, kind of makes the biggest impact early on just because he's that type of dude. Uh, he's just an all-around player. I, I, I'm, I'm just a huge Eric McCarty fan. I, I don't know. That's just where I stand right now with him. Uh, massive fan of what he can do. Uh, look, 
Oklahoma's been hot on the recruiting trail. We've been talking about that. Uh, Lewis Carter, we've got to discuss what the four-star linebacker brings to the table. Uh, as far as athleticism, you might not find a more athletic linebacker in the country. Uh, people are talking about his covered skills just being superb during the future 15. He was he was a guy that filled in for people that didn't show up. He was an alternate. So like that 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 shows you right there again evaluation he showed up and people were like goodness man this dude's really good he moves really well he's fast he's athletic uh he also announced his commitment publicly at the future 50 to oklahoma he's a really good get in another little coup for brent venables and company as they dip down in tampa where, where venables was born mind you uh dip down in that tampa florida area where he made his home uh recruited really heavily in that central south florida region whenever he was at Clemson and uh, continue to do so why at Oklahoma and doing at a very high level, getting a player like Lewis Carter. Yeah. It's a big ad for Oklahoma, especially because I think when you look at his ranking and again, this is an example of a guy that doesn't just have a really, really high evaluation from one recruiting service. He is consistently valued across the board as a top 200 player nationally. However, for whatever reason, this was a guy that a lot of big-time schools did not prioritize. From what I understood, Florida had Lewis Carter just about in the bag, and things happened to fall through there. Not really uh, sure what went on with that situation, but similar, similar thing at Clemson, right? He was very, very high on Clemson. Clemson was recruiting him. Then all of a sudden that seemed to just kind of fade into oblivion to the point where North Carolina and Auburn were the two teams that really had a stranglehold on the Lewis Carter recruitment until Brent Venables got involved. And I think last we podcasted, we talked about the situation with Lewis Carter and the way that Oklahoma stacks up with North Carolina and Auburn, right? Auburn. And I think Brian Harson's a good football coach, but he's a dead man walking at Auburn. And that says more about the situation down there. Uh, and how many cooks are in the kitchen than it does about Brian Harson, But uh, that is a horribly toxic situation down there on the plains right now. At North Carolina, you don't know, first off, you don't know how much longer Mac Brown is going to coach before he decides to ride off into the sunset. He's in his late 70s at this point. And so uh, his, his time is nigh uh, when you're talking about the, the re retirement conversation. And he's been retired before, but most everybody views this North Carolina job as the one that will be his final coaching job. So, A, you don't know how much longer your head coach is going to be around. But secondly, North Carolina has just never been an elite football program. They've been a good football program at times over the years. They've put some pretty good teams on the field. They've won double-digit games on a couple occasions. But if you want to be elite and you're choosing between Oklahoma and North Carolina, especially as a linebacker with the opportunity to learn under the tutelage of Brent Venables, you're picking Oklahoma 10 times out of 10. And for Lewis Carter, I think, and I'm, I'm hardly the first to make this comparison, but I think a lot of people see a lot of Brian Asamoah in Lewis Carter, bit of an undersized linebacker, six feet, 200 pounds. So from that perspective, he's built as much like a safety as he is like a linebacker, but you get him into 
Schmidty's workout regimen. He's going to pack on 15, 20, 25 pounds of muscle. And if he's playing at six foot, 220 or 225 in the middle of that defense, and he's flying around the way that you see him doing on tape, that's, that's a guy that could be an all-conference type of performer for Oklahoma. And I think what really stands out about Lewis Carter is just that sheer athleticism and his, his ability to run in particular. Uh, I saw the clips circulating on social media, as did many, and had to do a double take because Dylan Edwards, the four-star Kansas State commit, uh, won fastest man at the future 50. And there was a rep where Carter was matched up one-on-one with Edwards and ran step-for-step with him down the field to break up the pass intended for him, a well-thrown pass at that. So, yes, it's only one rep, but that is a brilliant example right there of what kind of football player and what kind of talent Lewis Carter is and what he brings to the table for the University of Oklahoma, a guy that's going to be able to get to get sideline to sideline as effectively and as efficiently as any sooner linebacker in recent memory. And as long as he continues to develop both physically and mentally under the direction of Venables and Schmidt, that's a guy with an NFL future. Yeah. And again, today, another four-star commit that Oklahoma got was a 2023 four-star defensive back Josiah Wagner out of the state of Washington. Uh, Look, I don't think a lot of people saw that one coming for a little bit. I think you and I, I heard some rumors. I hit up Brandon Huffman. Brandon Huffman did some back check on uh, back channeling on that and really uh, found some in-depth stuff about what was going on there and uh, got back to me and was like, look, man, I'm going to put in a crystal ball for Oklahoma. I want you to follow it up since you were the first person to bring it to my attention. So I did that. And, you know, that one was one where, you know, Wagner came in during one of the camps, really showed out, did a really good job. Oklahoma, uh, brought him in, you know, did the unofficial visit while he was on camp. He was there for a few days, got to hang around coach Valai, Venables, all those guys, and really connected. And I think at that point, when it became clear that Oregon was looking at a different direction than Josiah Wagner, he turned his eyes to Oklahoma really quick and Oklahoma had their arms wide open for him and said, look, man, we'll take you. Uh, they wanted to take three cornerbacks slash nickels uh, in this class, along with three safeties. Uh, if you want to count uh, Eric McCarty and then the other two that they, if they can get uh, two more in this class. So, I mean, look, this was a big get for Oklahoma. You're talking about a guy that's in the top two, four, seven, one of the top players in the country. Uh, he is, he's just a really good athlete. He's kind of, he's, he's not the tallest, but I think he, I think he's over six foot. If I remember correctly, uh, I'm trying to think if he's what five eleven, six foot. Yeah, he's five. Wagoner so, is five eleven, one five eleven. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, he's he's a longer five eleven. Like he's got long arms. Uh, he's just a he needs a physical guy. Uh, has some good speed too to go with him, and is known as one of the he's one of the better seven on seven guys in the country. So and plays obviously for that huge uh, program up there in Washington during the off season when they do the spring football and all that. So this was a really good gift for Oklahoma, a player that is physical, a player that teams like 
Oregon, you know, uh, USC was looking at him for a bit. He has, I'm trying to look how many offers he has total. I, I want to say it was somewhere around 16, 17, 18, uh, but Notre Dame, uh, Oklahoma, Miami, Oregon, Tennessee, Texas, I mean, Washington, like this wasn't like a player that just Oklahoma didn't beat out some really good teams for. They beat out some really good teams for him. And it's another good get for OU. It's another player that adds to that, I guess, that new pipeline up in the uh, Evergreen State. And uh, you can't beat that. When you start to add pipelines in different states, it gets easier down the road to continue to add and get really good recruiting classes when you have pipelines in like 15 different states instead of 10. So, and that's kind of where Oklahoma's at right now. Yeah, well, and like you said, I, I I don't think that can be overvalued. Is when you develop inroads within a state, then not only can you come back and say, "Look, we took X Y Z player from this state from your area and made him great at the University of Oklahoma," but you can have that player come back and be a secondary recruiter for you. Say, "Look, I know your background. Uh, I had." similar circumstances uh, coming out of high school and I chose the university of Oklahoma and look at where I am now. And obviously those guys have to pan out in order for you to make that pitch effectively. But there's one thing we know about Grant Venables, Todd Bates, Ted roof. Heck go to the offensive side, Kale Gundy, Jeff Levy, so many guys across the board on this Oklahoma staff, have a penchant, a legitimate penchant for development. And so if they get these guys in the door and they develop them to the point where they are power five starters, NFL guys, then their job's just going to get easier and easier and easier year after year. And this is where stability comes into play because everybody thought Oklahoma had, had stability with the erstwhile head coach who is now at USC. Now they have legitimate stability with Brent Venables, who's going to be an OU lifer. And as long as Venables stays in place, as long as you have the steady hand on the tiller, look, the Sooners are going to lose assistance over the years. It happens to every staff if you're doing your job and doing it well. Guys will get bigger opportunities elsewhere. Guys will become head coaches and coordinators, and they will leave, and you will have to replace them. But as long as Venables is there to be the one steering the rudder, for the most part, there's not going to be a whole lot of variability. And you know that he's always going to have a contingency plan in place for any of his assistants that might exit to take a bigger job elsewhere. They have who knows how many off-field staffers at this point. They have assistance for assistance for every single position group. So when you have a program that is structured the way that Oklahoma's program is and your coaches are doing their jobs at an elite level, the point where the players on the field are performing at an elite level and not only performing but improving year after year, week after week, game after game. Man, you have the makings of what could be a really, really special football program. And yeah, I, I am taking a bit more of a cautious approach 
than a lot of other folks about this whole ordeal. I know my, my colleague at KREF, Teddy Lehman, he said Oklahoma's going to win a national championship within three years. I don't think that's completely five. outlandish, but no. uh, I'm, willing, I, I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat as you, Brandon. I have a, I have a bit of a longer buffer period. Mm-hmm. But when you think about it from that perspective, one thing that it does is it makes the Saban comparisons make sense. Right? Because those Saban comparisons have been thrown out by a whole bunch of different folks that are far more credible than you and I, Brandon. And so if that's the case, if, if Brent Venables really is the closest thing to Nick Saban that that generation of coaches has, and you know that he is locked in at the University of Oklahoma, then kind of start to understand why there are those out there who are touting Oklahoma as the type of program that could eventually become dynastic in college football. And I don't think anybody's ever going to replicate, at least in our lifetime. I don't know if anybody's going to replicate what Saban has done at Alabama. That almost seems like an impossibly high standard. But this is a program that you can see winning multiple national championships under the Venables regime. If it is as advertised, and as long as Venables is in it for – I would say 10, 15 years, give him about the same duration, uh, the same length of time to be a head coach at Oklahoma as Bob Stoops had. You know, Stoops played in what, four or five national title, five national titles. Only one, one of them. Sure. But that is the clearest example and a very recent example at that of what you can do when you have an outstanding coach at the top who is able to replace his, replenish his staff year after year and replenish his roster year after year. Mm-hmm. That's the type of potential that Oklahoma has in the long run with Venables. And it may, it may be higher in the long run with Venables than it was with Stoops. I think that a lot of that has to do with the decade that Venables spent at Clemson, which he cites so often, but that was the turning point in his career. That's why he's back at Oklahoma as head coach a decade after leaving as defensive coordinator and you can't help but be excited right now if you're an Oklahoma fan, man. And they, I understand Venables hasn't even coached a game yet at Oklahoma. You're trying not to let the hype train get too out of control. But if nothing else, you're very encouraged by what you're seeing the Sooner staff do on the recruiting trail, not just in, not just in terms of the type of players they're recruiting, but the type of people that they're recruiting as mm-hmm. well. Yeah, I mean, it, it, again – like we said, they have a chance to really, really have quite the class this year. And if, like you said, he's, he's one of the closest thing to Nick Saban, as some people say that he is, then uh, this may not be the only time you see a class like this happen or the potential of a class like this happen uh, during the Brent Venables area. And I, I, era, and I don't think uh, if we were betting men, I think we would bet that this isn't the only time you see a class like this or the potential of a class like this happening uh, during his era. Uh, Look, there's another decision happening later on this week. Derek LeBlanc, four-star 2023 defensive lineman out of uh, Kissimmee, Florida, Osceola High School. Look, this is a Florida-Oklahoma battle. Uh, It's a close battle. I think I'm trying to word this right. Like I, I feel like 
everybody wants us to pick and pick and pick. And I said, I'm not putting in a crystal ball no matter what, just because of my, whether it was going to Florida, whether it was Oklahoma because of my relationship with Derek and his dad, uh, Ricardo. Hello, Ricardo. I know you're probably listening to this, uh, but yeah, the, the, or watching one of the two, uh, but yeah, look, whether it's Florida or Oklahoma, I'm not putting in a pick. Um, I guess I'll pick Oklahoma. Like if I was going to pick, but that that's just me saying uh, who I would pick because I know for a fact that Florida is still pushing for him. Like I know for a fact and you never know, no matter what happens in recruiting, I always want to tell everybody, no matter what, you never want to go all in on anything, no matter what the crystal balls say, this thing could turn on its end because Florida kids have been known to, you know, turn quickly. I mean, and I don't think Derek's like that at all. I'm just saying like, and I know Ricardo's not like that, but it's just one of those deals where people always feel they have an idea of what's going on with the recruitment and it goes another direction. Peyton Kirkland's a prime example. I mean, it went <laughs> Michigan state, Oklahoma, Miami, back to Michigan state to Texas. And the whole time, and you can vouch for this, Parker, I said with Peyton Kirkland deal, I was hearing he was, there was no way he was going to Michigan State. Like, no way. Yes. And I told you that for like yes. two or three weeks. And that's what happened. Like, his mom was very much into the Michigan State deal. I think there were other people in that recruitment that were not. And that's kind of how that ended up. And everybody kind of conceded. Texas was the best spot with her moving to Houston. It makes sense. Makes sense. But the NIL part also makes sense. They're going to make quite a bit of money being offensive lineman there. And that's what this thing was about with him. Yeah. And it wasn't, it wasn't hard to figure either. No, even a week or so ahead of time that the school he picked wasn't going to be one of the schools in his top five, because we knew as you were, you'd reported a few weeks back, Brandon, that OU was out. Uh, our, Miami guy, Gabby Arusha, and our Florida guy, Blake Alderman, they had also reported that their respective programs that they cover, the Hurricanes and the Gators, they were out of the Peyton Kirkland sweepstakes as well. Uh, mm -hmm. Alabama was in the final five as well, but there was never anything out there that was credible to believe that Kirkland and Alabama were a thing. And if he wasn't going to Michigan State, as you had mentioned, then where was this thing going to go? on decision day for Kirkland. So Texas was out of left field. It yeah. was, but, but it makes sense. It does make sense. And I, I kind of figured, I kind of figured it was going to be somewhere like a UCF or an Auburn, somewhere reasonably close to home. Right. But then you throw in the fact that uh, the Kirklands have been, all over the place recently and now maybe moving uh, to the state of Texas going forward. Uh, may, may, I, my thought, and it was a bizarre thought at the time, even in my head, I was trying to make it all add up, but I kind of figured, okay, there's been a little bit of buzz surrounding Kirkland and Texas A&M. Maybe he ends up in college station so yeah. when Texas was, when we started getting those texts on Wednesday leading up to the decision that all of a sudden, boom, Texas is in the thick of it. 
it was out of left field, but I was also, I was sitting there looking at my phone, like, you know what? It makes sense. It does. Mm -hmm. And it, I, I thought it was funny the way that Peyton came out and tried to downplay all the rumors. And uh, if you, if you knew what was going on behind the scenes though, you knew that that was very real. And lo and behold, he is the newest longhorn in what is Mm -hmm. a top three class right now for Texas. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that, 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 the whole situation is weird as it was, it made sense. You and I talked about how much sense it kind of made, uh, when the rumors started flying around, uh, and then obviously back to the LeBlanc deal, look, uh, that decision, I think he's supposed to announce around one thirty Eastern time. So maybe 1230 central. I can't remember the exact time. Uh, but we'll, We'll have that covered as far as uh, the website goes. Uh, we'll see. Uh, probably going to try and get uh, an interview or two uh, with them after the visit or after the the commitment happens. So uh, whether it's to Florida, whether it's to Alabama, or excuse me, whether it's to Florida, Oklahoma, uh, you know, we want to get why the decision was made uh, to Florida or Oklahoma is kind of how – uh, so we'll have that covered on 247, whether it's from, uh, I guess, Andrew Ivins or I don't know who will be out there covering it, but uh, we'll have it covered one way or the other on 247 and OU Insider. Uh, and hopefully they'll have some quotes for y'all on why the decision was made to Florida or Oklahoma. Uh, but look, I mean, Coach Bates has been recruiting him for a long time. And I want to say I was told since like eighth grade or something like that, they've known uh, coach Bates. So this thing goes way back. And I mean, it would be a tough loss for Oklahoma if it doesn't go his way. That's just the facts. I think at this point, if you're following Derek LeBlanc's recruitment, it's been this way for a while, Brandon, there's more and more credible Intel as time goes by to believe that LeBlanc will be a sooner. And if that is the case, again, got to tip your cap to Bates and Venables because a top 100 composite interior defensive lineman from the state of Florida, that's just not a guy that Oklahoma is accustomed to getting. And you can say that right now about a lot of the commits that they've pulled in, in this class thus far, obviously uh, they started recruiting PJ at a bar ray and got him committed before he really, really hit it big. But to have a player that's knocking on the door of the composite top 50 at the edge position. Oh, he was not accustomed to having that. Uh, they are, they are used to having a five-star quarterback. It's just that <laughs> there was the narrative that once the former head coach moved on to Los Angeles uh, to his new school out there, the days of Oklahoma being able to recruit five-star quarterbacks uh, were going to wane away into oblivion. It took less Mm -hmm. than two months for Jeff Levy to render that narrative completely void. I'm trying to think (laughs) Bill Biedenboe, Bill Biedenboe has a top 100 player in this class and Mm -hmm. Caden green committed and Bill Biedenboe for whatever reason, I don't get it, Brandon, Bill Biedenboe takes a lot of slander from some folks. For his he's got two four stars. He's got Bates too. Yeah, which I I've never understood it because 
anybody worth their salt that knows college football will tell you that Bill Biedenboe is one of the absolute finest in the entire country at what he does. You talk to Caden Green, the Sooners' highest-ranked offensive line commit. I like the the kid's a Tulsa native. He grew mm-hmm. up his whole life wanting to play for the Sooners. But from the second he got that offer, man, and I talked to him very regularly over the course of a year plus. And from the moment he got that offer, it was never about Oklahoma as an outstanding program. Um, it was never about national championships. It was never primarily about uh, Lincoln Riley as a head coach. All of those things were things that Caden Green was taking into account, but the number one thing for him from the get-go was playing and developing under Bill Beatonville. Everything else came secondary to the opportunity to learn under a guy that can put you in the NFL if you show up and you earn your keep at the University of Oklahoma. So I've never understood the Bill Beatonville slander. I think a lot of that slander, I think a lot of slander for any individual associated with the Oklahoma football program in general is going to die over the next five or six months here, because yeah, once this team hits the field in the fall, uh, if they are as good as they have the potential to be, then it's going to become immediately evident to the rest of the country that they did not give this team its due and that they let the narrative spin out of control and they let the concerns regarding the new coach, the new quarterback, the surge of transfers, the new coordinators, they let all of that override what should have been evident from the get-go with this Oklahoma football program, which is when you have stability at the very top, and I'm talking the very top, the athletic director, Joe Castiglione, when you have a dude like that at the controls and he's the one calling the shots, then it's going to be really, really difficult for your program ever to fall too far from glory. And Mm -hmm. is Oklahoma going to be a national championship caliber team in 2022? That's not my expectation. If they are great. And again, that's another example of Venables and this program exceeding the expectations that we put out there for them. But I think you're kidding yourself if you don't look at this Oklahoma football program and the team that they're going to trot out there on September 3rd against UTEP and don't believe that they will be playing in Arlington for a big 12 championship. That is my baseline expectation for this team. And I don't think that's unreasonable. No, I think you're, I think you're right on the money. I I picked Oklahoma to go 11 and one, 10 and two, uh, one of those and be in contention one way or the other for at least a big 12 title and or a playoff spot. And I think that again is the baseline. Like you said, I think that it has to be, if you were the university of Oklahoma and if you're Brent Venables and you have the expectations, he has never been a part of a losing program during his coaching. He has never had a losing season. Did you know that during his coaching tenure, whether Mm -hmm. he's a GA assistant, never 29 more often than not, his team has been competing for a conference title and or playing for a national title. So if you're an Oklahoma fan and you don't have high expectations, it's kind of weird, right? Like you have Dylan Gabriel, who's thrown for 8,000 yards. 
You have a, a decent offensive line that's come back that's relatively experienced, has a lot of experience, actually, whether transfers or not. There's a lot of experience there. You have an experienced wide receiver group. You have an experienced running back crew, uh, plus a young, vibrant running back crew. Uh, add the defensive line. Yeah, I know you lost quite a bit on the defensive side of the ball, but the guys you have returning contributed last year. And somebody threw out an awesome stat where they like they lost like 21 sacks, but they're returning 16 sacks or something to that extent Oklahoma is. So it's not like they're void of pass rushers or good defensive line play. And obviously the linebacker crew is going to be very deep and the defensive back crew is going to be very deep and very talented. So the expectations should be high if you're Oklahoma. When you add the best punter in all of college football, and hopefully, if you're Oklahoma, you can find a kicker <laughs> one way or the other. Losing Gabe Burkich is a loss. Nobody's going to dispute that. So, yeah, the, the expectations should be high, very high. And speaking of high expectations, this weekend, there's two big recruiting dates as we close this uh, podcast out. On the 27th, there is the 24 and 25 day uh, where – they're going to do uh, – it's kind of a camp slash, you know, have fun type setting. And then on the 29th, it's a party in the palace with the 2023, whether committed or uncommitted. And that list is long, and it is distinguished, both of them. And if you're an Oklahoma fan and you're not on OU Insider, we're not going to give you them all here on the podcast. That's just not right for our paying members. But what we will give you is that that list – is stupidly, stupidly deep on both of them, and uh, we'll just throw some out here on the on the twenty on the twenty seventh. A few names out there for you guys, and we'll we'll leave it at that. Uh, five star twenty twenty four defensive back athlete KJ Bolden, five star defensive back Charles Lester, four star defensive back Jaden Hardy, four star defensive lineman Zadavian Sims. This is twenty twenty four twenty five. Obviously, you're going to have guys like. Uh, 25 quarterback, uh, Kevin Sperry is going to be in town. Um, uh, 2024 four-star wide receiver, Mario Craver, uh, 2024 four-star linebacker, Peyton Pierce, uh, will be in town. And then as far as the 2029, uh, the party in the palace, five-star defensive lineman, David Hicks, five-star quarterback commit, Jackson Arnold, uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, nine commits will be there. Uh, four-star defensive end, defensive lineman, Jordan Renaud. Four-star DB, Makari Vickers. Four-star DB, Jacoby Johnson. Four-star DN, Cecilia Kana will be there. And that is just to name a few. We have some more on OU Insider VIP. That will happen uh, that we have on there as well, plus a lot of the commits and, and top recruits that are going to be uh, we didn't name, I didn't name half the list on either one of them, by mind y'all. So they're big, deep lists. Uh, Parker, do you expect a commitment to happen during one of these dates? I'm going to say over, yes. Over under two. I'll say for under. Both, combined, I say, I... combined for 27 Ooh. and 29th. Okay, so hang on, hang on. You gotta, you gotta give me a point five here. Okay. You gotta give me a middle ground so I can have a legit. Two point five. Two point five. Two point five. I'll say under. 
I think they get I'm two commits. You. Two commits. I'm going over. Okay. But uh, here, here's my caveat to that, folks. Here's my caveat. I think you only hear of one within the next few weeks. Ah. Publicly. I see, I see. I think there will be a 2024 that announces publicly fairly early. Um, but I think Oklahoma gets two in 2023 to at least silent to them on the 29th and then announce at a later date. Who those might be? Might need to be on OU Insider VIP for that answer. Dun, dun, dun. Mm. <laughs> Anyways, all right, man. Um, yeah, let's close this thing out. Uh, if you're not an OU Insider VIP member, you have till the end of the 26th, literally like at 9.59 p.m. on the 26th, you can get 60% off. Or, or you can go 9.95 month to month and you get Paramount Plus with that. Okay. So you can pay 60% off, which is $43 to get you one year OU Insider. You don't get Paramount Plus until you're with us for a year and then you pay the full price. Or you can go $9.95 a month starting out, try us out, get Paramount Plus. But the second you quit us, Paramount Plus goes, it's Nick's too. So just, just a reminder that that's how that goes. But $9.95 a month gets you Paramount Plus plus OU Insider VIP 247 Sports. 60% off, $43 gets you a whole year for you Insider VIP. Uh, so those are your choices right now through the 26th. After that, it'll be, I believe, $9.95 a month will get you Paramount Plus, or you can pay, I think, the $75 gets you one year. Uh, I don't think you get Paramount Plus with that yet. You have to go through the whole year to get that. So either way, we would love to have you on OU Insider. There's a lot going to happen uh, with those two big visit dates. Uh, with us, going to be covering the Derek LeBlanc commitment. Uh, obviously, it's happening in Florida, but we'll try to have it covered one way or the other through 247 Sports for you guys. Um, we'll have you, we'll have both 27th, July 27th, the 24 and 25 day, the 2025, the 2024 day covered for you. We'll have the, the party in the palace on the 29th covered for you. And then shortly after that, guess what happens? Meet the players, OU Media Day, literally a week later, and then uh, Brent Venables practice starts, and the season starts to roll around, and we get it kick-started for you guys. So you want to be on OU Insider. That way you get all the team coverage, and you get all the recruiting coverage from Parker, myself, uh, Joey, Spencer, and Hayden. We got you covered 24-7. That's why we call it OU Insider 24-7. All right. For myself, for Parker Thune, my name is Brandon Drum. Thank you guys so much for watching and listening to this version of the OU Insider Under the Visor Tuners podcast. You guys have a blessed night.
CBS Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. Citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game full speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new survivor Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount Plus.